Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufert. My guest today is Liat Berer, the VP of Product at Odeo and Audio SSP. Full disclosure, I am an investor in Odeo through my fund, Heracles Capital. Liat has deep experience in mobile ad tech, having worked at Yahoo and Startup prior to Odeo. And I invited Liat on the podcast to discuss a topic that has taken on increased importance within mobile ad tech since the introduction of Apple's app tracking transparency policy, which is yield management, and how SSPs assist app publishers with maximizing the revenue they derive from in-app advertising. I consider this episode to be the third installment of a series that I have informally described as Mobile Ad Tech 101, a deep dive into the various components of the ad tech ecosystem that allow advertisers to reach audiences and publishers to monetize their existing audiences. The first two installments were How a Bid Becomes a DAO with David Philipson of Dataseat and The Economics of Ad Auctions with Garrett Johnson of Boston University. In this episode, Liat provides an expert overview of the role that SSPs and the acronym SSP stands for Supply Side Platform interface with demand sources and in-app inventory to generate revenue for publishers. I'm grateful for Liat for sharing her expertise, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we begin the conversation, why don't you just Tell us who you are in your own words. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Liat. I'm a VP of product at uh, Audio. And uh, as Eric mentioned, we are a platform for publishers to optimize their traffic for audio ads and to provide the gate to publishers to get audio ads into their games. I'm coming with a background of about 10 years in the ad tech industry. I've worked at uh, companies like Yahoo. So pretty familiar with anything to do with uh, mobile advertising and the programmatic space. Got it. And I, I want to kind of just jump right in. So when I pitched this idea to you, I shared some of the podcasts that I've done in this mold in the past. And what I'm trying to do is build up kind of a catalog of like ad tech 101 podcasts, right? So I've got one podcast with my friend David Phillipson. It's called How a Bid Becomes a DAO, right? And like that's kind of modeled after How a Bill Becomes a Law, the cartoon from like the 80s in the US that explains the legislative process in the Congress. And so he just walks through that workflow, that advertising workflow of like advertiser places bid, you know, and, and how it basically how it percolates through the system and an ad is shown, right? And I did another podcast uh, with a professor at Boston University, Garrett Johnson, about the economics of ad auctions, right? So just kind of like a primer on how ad auctions work. And I want this episode to fit into that canon, to that catalog, on the SSP side, right? So I kind of covered the DSP side with David. We talked about how a bid becomes a DAO. And I guess if you flip that around from like the SSP vantage point, it's how a bid request becomes some money, right? Like that's that workflow, right? I'm really happy to have you here with me to walk the listeners through this topic. I think DSPs are probably more generally understood than SSPs. Do you think that's correct? Yeah, I think that's correct. It's probably easier to understand like how it works from the buying side than the seller side. Right. So with that said, I will kick off the first question, which is what is an SSP? Can you explain how do SSPs fit into the broader digital marketing landscape? Yes. So an SSP in general, that's a supply side platform. And this is the representative of the publisher within the echo space of marketing and of ad monetization. So basically the SSP is the closest part to the publisher and it basically performs as the optimizer for the ad space of the publisher. So a publisher may have 
multiple locations where he wants to present ads in order to monetize his app. And I'm talking about mobile here in specific because this is what we do and where I come from, but it can be any type of uh, website or whatever that has an SSP. So the SSP's job is to optimize the bidding on this ad placement and to make sure that the publisher gets the most out of his ad space. So this is in a very broad description what an SSP does. And the way that it fits into the programmatic space is that the SSP is basically the first one to get the request or to extract the request for an ad from the publisher side, and then to pass it onwards into other sources of demand. So it can be ad exchanges or DSPs that can have this opportunity to bid on this ad request. So the SSP's job is to make sure that the best one wins, right? Like that the best ad response is the one that is going to actually win this uh, auction and be presented to the publisher. That was great. Thanks. I want to kind of unpack a couple of things that you said there, because I think they're important to explore in greater detail. So, okay. You talked about the SSP can, um, so it extracts the bid request from the publisher property. Let's keep it to mobile apps, but I, I want to kind of abstract this a little bit later. So I'm in Angry Birds, right? And I hit some moment in the app where the developer of Angry Birds has said, okay, an ad should be shown here, right? They've kind of triggered this ad impression to be rendered, right? And so Mm -hmm. within the app that there's some set of SDKs, right? And then we could talk about which SDK does that because I think this is is changing now. But let's Mm -hmm. say just some SDK recognizes that an ad should be shown. And so the SDK sort of sends a message to the SSP, right? And says hey, there's an opportunity to show an ad, right? And here's some detail about the ad unit that we have available. And then the SSP's job is basically to make as much money from that impression as possible, right? Like to go out to all these demand sources and make as much money for that impression as possible. Have I described that correctly so far? Yes, you have described it correctly. I think that maybe it is important to point out that the SDK itself that is located and integrated within the mobile app is actually the SSP's SDK. So the aim of the SSP is to have just like a one point that controls everything, right? So the publisher just has one SDK. This SDK is the one that gets the opportunity to present the ad impression. And it's the responsibility of this SSP to make the most out of this ad request, right? It kind of prevents from the publisher the need to create his own waterfalls or logic in terms of like who should get this ad impression. The SSP is the one responsible to make the most out of this for the publisher. Right. Okay. So we're now we're talking about mediation, right? Yes. So a mediation is actually like when we talk about the history of like an SSP or a mobile SSP in general, I think that today the ad mediations is actually the most updated form of an SSP, right? Because on one single ad unit, there can be multiple competitors. And the ad mediation is basically the one sort of like solving this conflict of like who should get this ad impression, right? It's just one stop shop to get to all the SDKs that are available out there and to make the most out of this ad impression. So yes, I think that ad mediations is actually today's SSPs. Right. That's a really important point. I kind of want to like put a stake in the ground with that point and say, okay, that's today. And I do want to kind of take a step back, right? And go back like a little bit to the beginning of mobile, just because I think it's really interesting to delineate the path that this industry has taken to get to this stake in the ground, to get to this today moment of mediation being the SSP. So let's start from like the beginning, let's say 2010, right? 2011, maybe (laughs) the kind of the dawn of mobile gaming as we know it, right? I was working at a company called Digital Chocolate. At that time, we had mostly Facebook games, but we were starting to publish mobile games. 
And this was based in Helsinki. And so we reached out to our neighbors at Rovio, who had a very popular app at that moment called Angry Birds. And we were like, can we do a traffic trade? And we actually constructed this like really weird, like three-sided traffic trade because we wanted traffic to our app, but they wanted traffic to their mobile property. And so we ended mm-hmm. up having to like create this like intermediary system. But anyway, there were no like SDKs back then that, I mean, there were, there, there were like ad, ad network SDKs, right? And like you would integrate one and that's, that was your ad platform, right? Exactly. You worked with one ad network, right? And, and there weren't that many. And so when we went to Rovio, we were like, hey, we want some traffic to our mobile app because we're getting into publishing mobile apps. They were publishing like a web version of Angry Birds. They wanted traffic to the, to the website. And we had a lot of web traffic. And to do that was not straightforward, right? Because you know they had like an ad ops team that had to kind of like manually direct a bunch of traffic to our app, right? It wasn't as simple as just like opening up like a line item or something. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the kind of the whatever the the primordial era of like mobile ad tech. And then walk me through when we started actually talking about mediation because that was like the operating model for a long time. It's you actually went to an ad network and you kind of shopped around and you got an exclusive deal and that was the ad network that serviced your inventory. You didn't work with multiple. And then mediation emerged, right? And and talk the audience through like what mediation was. Right. And what the purpose was. And I think it's obvious if we're talking about, well, you had one ad network, they served your traffic, but just like walk us through like what the, what the initial purpose of mediation was and how it functioned. Mm-hmm. Sure. So as you said, I think that once upon a time, right, like apps would sort of like try to sell their traffic, even sometimes on their own, right? Like to try and have internal sales or some internal marketing teams to bring some budget. So that was just like the real beginning of the history. And then yes, there were some ad networks and all each ad network had their own SDK. And it was just like some sort of a competition between all the ad networks, like who's going to get exclusivity on each app, um, which is of course not that's not a very efficient way, right? Because like you can get demand from all of them. And this was like the beginning of an SSP, which is basically just one SDK that at first sort of like monetized or helped you sell your remnant traffic, like what you couldn't have sold yourself or the ad network that was monetizing your traffic and everything was programmatic, right? So the SSP was the connection to all this open marketplace through exchanges and through DSPs to make sure that you are able to monetize as efficiently as possible. And then I think that what happened is that SSPs became the way to monetize your apps, right? Like you wouldn't be like going or uh, selling your traffic to one specific SDK or doing the sales yourself. Everything became programmatic. And that was the way for apps to really monetize their traffic. And I think that the SSPs, the way that they evolved is from being like pure programmatic tools for open marketplaces and everything. They sort of like evolved into trying to include all those ad networks that were out there into their own platform. And this is sort of like how a mediation came through, which basically allows the publisher to get access to all those monetization SDKs within one single SDK that just sort of rules them all and helps them to make the most right out of their traffic. And that still means that they get all those SDKs, they get all those opportunities to monetize their ad spaces, but it's much more efficient because it's through all the SDKs that are out there. And it's also through all the programmatic channels that are out there. So the competition here is really as fair as it could be. Right. And let's unpack that because that's a really important point. So the idea here is like you let all the demand sources compete with each other, right? If you had Mm -hmm. one single demand source, you might not be getting the best price 
yes. right, all the time, right? Or, or just generally because it's one demand source, right? And there's no competition for the traffic. Now, back in the day when you did exclusives, they would often offer like a CPM floor. Um, and that was why you went with company A over company B at, and, and they would give you money up front. So you had to kind of factor that into the economics. But nonetheless, right? Like it's just logically true that if you have competition for the impressionist, you're probably you're going to get the better prices generally than if you don't. And so I want to talk about the demand side real quick because I think it's really important understanding the role that the SSP plays. So you've got ad networks which aggregate SDK traffic, right? Or they that's kind of the function they used to play. Right. It's like I'm an ad network. And so the reason you advertisers should advertise with me is because I've got my SDK in a bunch of apps and that's controlling what ads get seen. And so you have sort of direct access to that inventory. Right. Yes. But there's also, so that's the ad network side and an ad network kind of consists of a demand piece and a, and a supply piece. Right. And then sort of below that is just the open programmatic space. Right. And so the idea being that like an ad network, they might not have demand for any given impression, right? They might not be able to fill that. So if they can't, or they can't fill it at the price that the publisher wants, then there's sort of like a level down that can be queried, call it, for a bid. And that's like the open programmatic space, right? Am I describing that correctly? Yes, you are describing it correctly. I think that each publisher can traditionally, or let's say like the way that it usually works is through the mediation, you you build your own waterfall, right? Like you say, okay, this is the network that I want to approach. This is like the first opportunity that I want to provide and with different floor prices. But today, I think that the world is changing again and the bidding becomes a lot more open. So if once upon a time, the waterfall was built on assumptions of like what each ed network can do, today, this is very open and very transparent. And all the ad networks are um, also going into a phase where they share in advance. This is the bid that we're willing to provide and we're willing to bid on this ad impression. And if this is the highest bid, then this is the one that's going to win, right? It's going to take the auction. And this is a more like this is an even more effective world where everything is super transparent and the highest bidder really wins and you don't have to build a waterfall in advance. Right. I talked about the stake in the ground today. That's just in-app bidding, right? And then the mm-hmm. kind of the previous, I think, like big moment, the previous important waypoint was when we had like waterfall mediation, right? When that was, okay, I've got like this, this SSB has kind of like a user interface. I log in online and I see like a, a visual representation of the impressions in my app, right? That are available mm-hmm. to be filled. And I can sort of like expand any given one of those and say, Okay, well, the first opportunity to bid goes to this ad network because they historically, for like the last month, they had the highest CPMs. They paid out exactly. the highest CPMs. And then if they don't come back with a bid that's acceptable, then then go down the list to this network. And that was kind of like a, a middle point between just, okay, I'm going exclusive with one ad network because that's easy and that's the way things are done. So like, there's just an open auction that anyone can control. So that was like that middle point. And now we're at the flag in the ground, the flag in the ground that I talked about. And, t- and talk about... We kind of covered this, but like, just to put a a finer point on it, talk about like what the progression was from that kind of like, okay, we're going to have an explicit waterfall, like a designed, architected by the app developer, the publisher, the waterfall that I've sort of determined is based on historical averages, the, the best ordering of networks to seek bids from to now where it's just an open auction for every bid. Like what happened? What took place in that time? And then why is that better? Why did we move in that direction? 
Yeah. So I think the competition between the different ad networks became so fierce. There are so many demand sources, so many ad networks that do a great job. And it makes all the sense in the world that when the competition gets fierce, the publishers want to make the most out of their impressions. And it just doesn't make sense anymore to sort of pre-organize or pre-order all the networks based on historical data. Because for each impression, the competition can be different between different ad networks. So the industry sort of evolved into a world that is 100% transparent, right? Like why would just one ad network perform their own auction instead of a publisher performing his own auction and seeing like what are the bids that the demand partners are willing to offer. And this has been sort of like the transition into in-app header bidding, what you call in-app bidding, which is just that the bid is transparent. The SSP or the ad mediation can just perform the auction immediately for every ad request and decide who is the best one to fit this. I want to flag, you use the word header bidding uh, or the, the phrase header bidding. And uh, that is borrowed, right, from the desktop True. programmatic space, right? Could you explain that? That wh- Why is it called header bidding? Yeah. So header bidding is a phrase that is borrowed from the web world. So it actually started with websites, with just the web world, where the bid itself was just passed through the header in the bid request. And in mobile, that's not a thing, right? Like the requests don't include a header. But still, the behavior is the same. And this is why sometimes we refer it as in-app header bidding. But in reality, it's just in-app bidding, which uses the programmatic uh, way for bidding, which is server to server. Yeah, just to underscore that, like when you have a website, there's part of the code is the header, right? Exactly. In HTML. And, that, and, that the, and the header is where you include or like you link to all the sort of external JavaScript that you would use on the website. And that's why it's called, that's why it's header bidding because you would include that JavaScript file that facilitated that auction in the header. It's funny because, you know, a lot of this stuff, it'll, with mobile, especially like these concepts will come to mobile and they won't get adopted quickly. And then they'll go dormant for a while and then they'll become very relevant. <laughs> right. So like, <laughs> I'm, I was just remembering, oh yeah, I used to call in-app bidding header bidding. And I did a search on mobile dev memo for header bidding for the phrase header bidding. And it pulled up an article that I wrote in 2017 called understanding header bidding and its impact on mobile. And I guess that would have been like the earliest stages of that, uh, exactly. which was earlier than really the, you know, any sort of meaningful adoption. And then the other example of that is SK Ad Network, right? So SK Ad Network was introduced by Apple in 2018. And I wrote this article back then. I was like, is SK Ad Network going to change mobile advertising? And like, everyone's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's who cares about SK Ad Network? And they were right. Who cares about S- Who cared about SK Ad Network in 2018? It was irrelevant, right? Well, not. Yeah. Now it's more relevant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> A little more relevant. Yeah. yeah, a little bit more relevant than it was. Um, okay, so thank you. You've provided... That's a really helpful background and a really helpful explanation. I want to just to kind of capitulate on this topic and wrap it up with a kind of potent message. How do app publishers benefit from using SSP? And I think it's, it's kind of obvious, but just to put a very fine point on it. Like, what is the benefit of this model? Why is this better for app publishers? Yeah, so I think... I might address here two points. So the first one will be sort of technical, right? Like this is a way for a publisher to have just one stop shop for everything, right? It's much easier. Like it's just one SDK, one representative or one platform that just controls everything for him. So it's much easier instead of just like going, you know, and implementing SDKs and creating your own logic. It's just like, it's a platform that this is what it does. So that's just like the technical aspect of it. And then of course, there's the business aspect of it. 
this is a way for a publisher to make the most yield out of his app, right? Like this is the best competition out there. And it's the way to make this competition as fierce and as fair as possible, because it gives the opportunity for all the demand sources out there to bid on a single ad impression and to make sure that we make and the publisher make the most out of it. Got it. So just if I could summarize, the idea is that like you want to maximize competition for the inventory for every piece of inventory. Exactly. For every piece of inventory that you have in the app, you can maximize the competition by using this SSP. Got it. Thank you. That's great. I want to kind of move on to like ecosystem tactical topics, right? So to kick this off, how has the relationship between app publishers and SSPs changed since Apple introduced its app tracking transparency privacy policy? And I I think this is a really relevant question today as we speak because of the news yesterday, which was Unity and IronSource merging, right? Unity operates, uh, sorry, IronSource operates a scaled mediation platform, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Unity doesn't for the most part. They've launched one, but you know, it was very late in the game, right? It's very recently that they've launched it. And I think we're seeing the ecosystem kind of coalesce around this idea of SSPs are the tip of the spear, right? SSPs are the vector of growth, right? Mm -hmm. Owning the SSP drives your growth as a company in this space. And so can you talk to me about in what ways did ATT sort of precipitate that change, precipitate that sort of sea change? And how has the role of the SSP changed post-ATT? And, and not just ATT, all of the privacy stuff that's happening in mobile. Obviously, the privacy policy, Google is going to deprecate the GAID. We've got yeah. a lot of legislation that might sort of supersede all of this anyway. Just talk, talk to me about how the role of the SSP has changed in this new privacy environment. Yeah. So the way that I see it, I think that if in the past an SSP was more like the facilitator of data, you know, just to collect the user ID and pass it forward and to make sure that a DMP or any other data platform enriches that data and creates the audiences. I think that today with all the changes in, as you said, regulations and the Apple transparency policy and everything else that just prevents us from knowing like what is the user and analyze it as analyzing it. I think that the, the biggest change that we're going to see is that targeting is going to move more to contextual, right? It's going to move more to like, where the ad is presented and what can potentially be the interest of the user based on like the content that he's currently seeing. And I think that in that aspect, the SSPs will have a, a bigger part, right? Like if until now the DSPs and the data providers that they worked with were the ones responsible, let's say, for enriching the data and understanding like who the audience is, I think that today the SSPs that sit the closest to the publishers are going to be more responsible of passing or extracting contextual data from which game are we talking about? What is the content that the user is currently seeing? And that will be helpful on its turn to the advertisers to understand like if they want or they don't want to buy this traffic. So I think that contextual targeting is something that is going to be much more on the responsibility of the SSPs and related to the publisher than it ever was before. Got it. And just to clarify one thing, you you used the term DMP. Could you just explain what that is for people who aren't familiar? So a DMP is a data provider. It's an external sort of uh, player in the programmatic space. And his job is to enrich the data that we have on users. So originally, and this is still what happens today, this is done by taking the user ID, passing it into this DMP, and the DMP will enrich the data about the user based on what they know. So it can be demographics, it can be 
interests. It can be anything that the DMP knows about the user in order to improve and better the targeting. But now, as we've mentioned, when we don't have that user ID, when this is getting so much harder to collect, the information that the DMP can help us with is a little bit limited. So this is where contextual targeting is becoming more and more relevant. And this information needs to be derived from the publisher itself. Right. So you've got like a DMP serving as like a database of profiles, right? And those profiles were linked via the device ID, the MAID, right? The mobile advertising Exactly. Exactly. And now, well, if you don't have the mobile advertising ID, then there's nothing to link to this data set of profiles. And so they're not maybe available in the majority of cases now on iOS at least. Exactly, exactly. There are other ways to connect this data to users. There is still DMPs that use IP or use the user agent. There are still some ways to enrich the data about the users, but this is getting harder and harder, right? So contextual targeting is sort of like the solution. You don't have to know who is the specific user. You just have to know in what context he's seeing the ad. And that's, you know, the perfect solution for privacy reasons. Right. And and I mean, like using anything but a deterministic identifier is going to create some fuzziness, right? Some imprecision. And I remember when, when ATT was kind of announced, you know, I talked to a lot of like institutional investors and, and they were kind of saying, look, this is a tempest in the teapot. It's not going to make a difference. Instead of using the maid, we'll use the email because that's a deterministic identifier. And my response to them was always, you know, there are two problems with that. One is that, well, Apple says you can't use the email. So they've just explicitly told you to not do that. And so you'd be violating the policy if you, if you do it. And, but the other is like, how are you going to get the email? Exactly. Right? If, especially within the context of like mobile apps, right? And the mobile mm-hmm. app ecosystem, that's games, right? Exactly. That's games. There's mm-hmm. that no other category of mobile apps really represents significant revenue in that space. Why? Because they've excluded themselves bypassing the app store. And a lot of these, the bigger apps that generate a lot of uh, revenue in the first place, are like legacy products that have that are kind of cross-platform. But in any case, that if you talk about mobile, you talk about the mobile ecosystem, you're talking about games. And you want to try to get an email from a new player, someone that's just downloaded your app. You've just paid eight bucks or 12 bucks or 20 bucks to create this download. You want to push an email registration to them? Like you you know no app developer, no <laughs> app developer is going to do that. Like that's right. out of the question, right? And especially for the biggest publisher apps, which are hyper casual, casual, they can't sure. get an email. There's no way they can get an email. So mm-hmm. there's just there's there's nothing to anchor to. So you talked a lot about contextual. I want to unpack that because I think that's super interesting. So we talked about you know why that's important because we're losing a device identifier. So you got to take whatever signal you can from the players device in a way that's mm-hmm. not personally identifiable, but in a way that helps inform what the bid should be or you know what the appropriate sort of sale price for that inventory should be, right? Now, I want to point out, you're extracting information from the device not to aggregate it so you have an identity, but just as the actual feature inputs to like a pricing model. It's not in order to identify that person. It's just to say, this is how much this impression is worth, um, exactly. you know, irrespective of who the user is. But talk to me about what those are. Like, What are you using to do that? So that's a good question. And I think that the industry is kind of like young in that aspect and things in in the contextual targeting are going to change massively. But I can speak from the gaming perspective, the things that we are evaluating and trying to understand like how they're going to be valuable for advertisers are things that have to do with the genre of the game, right? Like what is the user currently doing? And to try and segment the game as a whole and not the user specifically. So if it's a kind of game that presents 
it's a runner game, if it's a trivia game, if it's a puzzle game, like what does that mean about the user? Where is he coming from? What are his interests? These are things that we're trying to sort of deduce and understand from the game itself and not about the user. So yes, it's much less accurate than knowing, yes, this user, you know, lives in this and this state and he likes sports and he, you know, has a dog. It's much more general, but it is still good enough to understand like who are the players, who are the users that are actually using the game. Got it. And the benefit of that from a privacy perspective is there's there's no real information about the person leaked out, right? And there's no way to exactly to, to, right to to create a profile of them on that basis because there's nothing to anchor to. It's not even related to a specific user. There's no ID that links right. this information to a specific user or email, as you mentioned before. It's just a general concept that is related specifically to this ad request. Okay, I want to talk about ad formats kind of to close out the conversation. So a little bit of background on Odeo. Uh, it's an audio DSP. So you service audio ad formats, right? So if you know if someone is listening to this podcast and they are not familiar with mobile advertising, which you know is pro- probably not not many people, but but <laughs> let's pretend there there are, you know, they probably are familiar with just like opening up a game and having like an interstitial ad, right? So that would be interstitial ad is something that like kind of takes over the whole screen. Yep. And, you know, it could be a, just a static image, but more, more likely it's a video now, right? It's a video mm-hmm. for probably another game. So that's a format that's disruptive to gameplay, obviously, right? Because it's taken over the screen. You can't keep playing the game. In a, there's other formats too, like playables, right? So playable ad is, you know, you're playing a game and this, this kind of ad pops up and it's like a sort of a static screen and it pushes you into this, this sort of like pseudo gameplay. So you're, you're in the middle of your game. You see this ad, which is just like a free screen. And then it counts down and then you start playing another game and you say, what's going on? But you play that game and this kind of like teaser version of the game. And if you like it, you can download it. And if you don't, you just close it out and go back to the game you're playing. Right. So it's a playable ad format. What is an audio format? How, How would you describe that? Yeah. So an audio format is actually, this is an innovative thing that we've sort of came up with that tries to take advantage of the audio world, which is a world that sort of like accompanies the user, right? Like audio ads have been there for a long time and they are usually being presented in environments that are more audio first, right? Like podcasts of the world. But as you said, the gaming environment is an environment that is currently really bombarded with a lot of types of ads, right? And usually the ads themselves sort of like take you out of the gameplay completely. You're kind of like stuck in the ads and you have to watch them. So it can be a rewarded ad, then it can be just like a plain interstitial for another game, as you said. The audio ad is something that accompanies you throughout the game, right? You can continue playing, you can continue enjoying your game experience, and you listen to an audio ad in the background. So the advantage here is, of course, for the users, right? They don't have to leave their gameplay. They they don't have to leave the experience, but they still listen to an ad. And for the developers and the game publishers, it's actually a new way to monetize their apps, right? Like they don't have to give up on any other format that they currently have, but they can continue monetizing within their gameplay during the time that the players are engaged with the app. So the benefit here is both a new revenue stream, and also to improve the engagement in the game itself. Great. And I, just to tie this back to the discussion, obviously, if you have an audio impression available, you can only fill that with audio. How does that sort of impression, that format, factor into that whole workflow that we just described with the SSP? So the SSP registers that, hey, there's an audio impression available. 
and it, it sends that out, that bid request out, and then like walk us through that process when there's multiple formats that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So in this case, because the format is very new and this is very unique, we are basically uh, performing at the SSP for audio in-game. So we are the SDK that is on the publisher's app and we are the ones responsible to send that bid request into the DSPs and the ad networks that work with us. And they are competing for this audio impression. And we do the yield monetization for the publisher. So all the competition goes through us. Um, and the audio ad that is finally going to be displayed on the app itself is we are the ones sort of like managing the competition for it. Right. I mean, you can imagine a world like we talked about the idea of like mediation in a bidding, just like to make that much more efficient, right? And to kind of sit a layer above these like kind of competing interests. Do you imagine something similar happening like across formats, right? So like the super SSP, right? That could decide, okay, well, this is a good opportunity to show an audio ad or no, actually we should pop an interstitial here or it should be a playable. Like, could that happen? Is that something that we might see in the future? That's a good question. I think that's a very innovative idea. I'm not sure that this is something that can be an easy decision for a single solution to decide for all the apps. I think that usually each game developer wants to decide on his own, like what is mm -hmm. the logic of like when to present an ad and why. The game developers, they know their users well and they do their own A-B testing to try it out. But this is actually an interesting idea to try and see like the delicate balance between like how many ads you want to present to a user and how much time you want to give him like in actually playing the game and not harm the retention. So it could be an interesting solution. I don't really see it happening real like at the really near future, but anything can happen. Maybe that's uh, Odeo's uh, Series B pitch, right? <laughs> yeah, it's super SDK. Um, exactly. But just to kind of support that point, like, yeah, the, the game developers want like kind of complete control there. They, they're sort of like controlling for a specific experience, right? And mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't want to hand that control over to like a black box, right? Because exactly. they, they understand, you know, how different ad formats impact retention and churn and monetization and all, all that stuff. And, and they probably wouldn't want to just let that be automated. But uh, maybe one day. Liat, this was a really fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your insight here. How can people get in touch with you? How can they learn more about Odeo? How can they connect with you? What social media platforms are you present on? So you can, of course, go and search our website, audio.io, to see our demos and see the way that the ads look and sound like. There is, of course, uh, an option to approach us there. We're also active on LinkedIn, on Twitter, of course. So just feel free to approach us and we'll schedule a demo. Perfect. And I just to clarify here, I pronounce it Odeo. It's just to just to make sure that people don't get lost when they're searching. It's O-D-E-E-O. -E -E I can see that you probably pronounce it correctly since you are a VP at the company. But just to just to spell it out, it's O-D-E-E-O dot I-O. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you a pleasant day. Thank you. Thank you for having me.